is the Worldwide Sports Radio Network. Chris Mitch. These guys know sports. Wise guys. These guys know sports. Wise guys. Chase Lucas. Chris Mitch. These guys know sports. These guys know sports. And welcome to Wise Guys. These guys know sports. Here live on the Worldwide Sports Network on the Wise Guys podcast on this beautiful Tuesday, October the 11th in the house with your boy Trey Larkins. Everybody remember go and follow Wise Guys on Twitter at WiseGuys underscore H. Also on Facebook, Wise Guys. And be sure to follow Wise Guys on Instagram at These Guys No Sports. Another NFL week has passed. NFL week five is in the books. It was an amazing NFL week five. So many things to discuss on tonight's show. We're going to talk about the Baltimore Ravens snapping a five-game home winning streak and beating the Cincinnati Bengals 19-17 in Baltimore on Sunday night football. Call into the show, 513-203-8655. Who's to blame for the Bengals' 19-17 loss to the Ravens Sunday night? So, Bengal fans, call into the show. I want to get your opinions on who's to blame for the 19-17 loss. Is it Zach Taylor? Is it the offense? Or is it the defense? Also, we'll talk about later on the show, the Packers collapse in London. Yes, I got to call out my Green Bay Packers. I've been talking a lot of trash talk to Bengal fans in the early part of the season, so I got to call out my Packers for that collapse that took place in London early Sunday morning. Packers were up 20-10 to 10 on the New York Giants, got outscored 17-2 to 2 in the second half. I don't even count the two points because that was a, a safety given up by the Giants that they gave the Packers. So that was a complete choke job by Matt LaFleur and Aaron Rodgers and the Green Bay Packers. So I'm going to talk about that later on the show as well. And the Dallas Cowboys are streaking. They have won four straight games. They beat the L.A. Rams 22-10. to 10. In L.A., so so big-time win for the Cowboys. Four straight wins for the Cowboys without their starting quarterback, Dak Prescott. So I'm going to talk about that here in a bit. Again, call into the show, 513-203-8655. If you want to talk about any certain topic in the NFL, call into the show. We can talk about it. We can debate about it, whatever you want to discuss. Also, I'm going to talk about the Carolina Panthers firing Matt Rule. This happened yesterday. In the early part of the morning, they fired Matt Rule, so he's out in Carolina. Wilkes takes over as head coach right now, you know, to see who's till, until they get another coach out there in Carolina. So it's going to be interesting to see Dallas Cowgirls' correction. They will have a midseason slump. My man Trey Rice over here. What's up, bro? That's my, my brother, man. We went to, went to school together. Shout out to Trey. But let's start off with the Monday night football Game in Kansas City last night as the Kansas City Chiefs beat the Las Vegas Raiders 30-29 to for the Kansas City Chiefs. Andy Reid now is 43-13 versus AFC West teams. And Travis Kelsey set a Monday night football and Chiefs tight end single game record with four touchdown receptions. 
It was Patrick Mahomes' second career 17-point comeback for the Raiders. Derek Carr probably had his best game of the season. He went 19 of 30. He had 241 passing yards, two touchdowns. Devontae Adams had a sensational night. He had three receptions, 124 receiving yards, two touchdowns. And for the Chiefs, Patrick Mahomes, he went 29 of 43. He threw for 292 passing yards, four touchdowns. Travis Kelsey, seven receptions. Four of those seven receptions were touchdown catches by Travis Kelsey. He had 25 receiving yards for the night. So, as we begin the show tonight, talking about Monday night football and the matchup on Monday night football, everybody watched the game last night. It was a high-scoring affair in Kansas City. I thought the Las Vegas Raiders did an outstanding job in the beginning stages of this game. They got, got out to a 17-point lead in this game. And I thought Josh Jacobs, their running back, he led the way for the Las Vegas Raiders in this game in the early stages. For the game, Jacobs had 21 carries, 154 rushing yards, one touchdown. And I thought the Raiders brought the intensity to this football game. And I thought them getting out to a 17-point lead was indicative of them coming into this matchup being one and three on the season. They were desperate. They played like the more desperate football team. And I thought that the Patrick Mahomes and the Chiefs, as the night went along, they got into a rhythm. But Derek Carr and Josh McDaniels, they came out and they played with confidence. And I thought offensively, the Raiders were sensational in the first half. I thought also the key was that first on that one drive in the beginning of the game when it was fourth down. I thought Josh McDaniels showed a lot of guts for going for it on fourth down, and Derek Carr found Devontae Adams for a 58-yard touchdown catch, and I thought that got the Raiders into rhythm offensively, and it was the start of a great first half for the Raiders because after that, Josh Jacobs, he had a touchdown in the beginning stages of the second quarter, and they added on a field goal. So they were up 13-0 at one point in this game, not 17-0, 13-0 at one point. And I thought the Chiefs had to play catch-up. But what makes Patrick Mahomes so great is his ability to overcome early deficits. Over the last four years, Patrick Mahomes is 11-5 when he falls behind by double digits in games. And I thought this was another stat that was interesting when you look at Patrick Mahomes. This is his this is his record when trailing by 10 points. This is active quarterbacks, including the playoffs. Patrick Mahomes is 12 and 9 when he trails by 10 or more points. That's better than Tom Brady, Russell Wilson, Jalen Hurts, and Lamar Jackson. So for whatever reason, when the Chiefs are down on the scoreboard, we get the best out of Patrick Mahomes. And I thought Patrick Mahomes was sensational in this game. Coming into this game, I said that Patrick Mahomes is my early selection for NFL MVP after his great performance that he put on in week four in Tampa Bay. I thought he was great in that game against the Tampa Bay Buccaneers, and the Buccaneers have the best defense in the NFL. And in this matchup, despite being down 13-0 in the early stages of this game, you saw Patrick Mahomes remain calm, 
remained patient and took exactly what that Raiders defense gave him. And I thought the Chiefs offense methodically marched down the field and they were able to score touchdowns, especially in the second half. In the second half, the Chiefs outscored the Raiders 20-9. to And I thought it was a tale of two halves. I thought the Raiders controlled the game in the first half. And I thought the Chiefs controlled the game in the second half. But what, the, the key moment in the game for me came at the end of the second quarter and at the beginning of the third quarter. At the end of the second quarter, after the Raiders kicked the field goal, that was the drive, I believe, when when Chris, when Chris, when Chris Jones had almost recovered a fumble off of Derek, Derek Carr on a potential sack. And they kicked the Raiders had kicked the field goal, and the Chiefs get they kicked the field goal it was a sixty yard field goal by Wright. That's the kicker for the Kansas City Chiefs. He's kicking right now for them. He's replacing their other kicker, who I can't think of his name, but he's replacing him right now. But Wright kicked a sixty yard field goal, so that cut the Raiders' lead to ten points. So at that moment. The Chiefs got the football back out of the half, and they marched right down the field. And Travis Kelsey had a touchdown reception from Patrick Mahomes. So I thought the Chiefs were able to double up and score a quick 10 points before the half and immediately after halftime. I thought that was what got them back into the game because before that field goal, the Raiders, they were up 20 to seven, and that last possession of the first half by the Chiefs got them into a rhythm, and they carried that over into the second half. And on the first possession, the Chiefs score a touchdown, and it's twenty to seventeen. And I looked at the game, and I'm thinking, like, as great as the Raiders have played, we are here in the third quarter, and it's a three point ball game. Three point ball game. The Raiders have been. The more dominant team, they've been the better team for two and a half quarters. And here we are at the start of the third quarter after the opening drive by the Chiefs to open the half. Here we are. It's 20 to 17. So I thought, again, the Chiefs, they stayed committed to Patrick Mahomes and him being patient throughout the game. And I thought that was the key for them to be able to come away with the win. Now, there were a couple plays in this game that – decided the outcome. The first play I want to talk about is what happened on the drive when the Chiefs scored their last touchdown of the game. It, it came when the Chiefs, they were going for a field goal. So it's 24-23. The Raiders' defense has stopped the Chiefs' offense. Chiefs are lining up for a field goal, and for whatever reason, the Raiders – they held on this particular play, and the Chiefs got a fresh pair of downs. I thought that was the biggest turning point in this game. Honestly, because it, if the Chiefs kick the field goal, they go up 27-23. So the touchdown that the Raiders got on the ensuing possession, the Raiders would have had the lead. But because they gave the Chiefs a fresh pair of downs, Patrick Mahomes got another opportunity and he connected with Travis Kelsey for another touchdown. And instead of the Raiders 
only being down four, at that point they were down by seven because the Chiefs, for whatever reason, Andy Reid decided to go for two. It was 30 to 23. He decided to go for two so he could put the game out of reach for the Raiders and make it a nine-point game instead of being an eight-point game. So I thought that penalty on the Raiders on the field goal attempt was was key. I thought I thought it was key because I thought it changed the entire momentum. Connors, defensive holding, five-yard penalty. It was fourth and 14 at the Raiders' 18-yard line. So if you hold the Chiefs to three points there, the score is 27-23. I thought that was a key pivotal moment in the game. And then the other moment in the game where I thought the Raiders lost the game was when the Raiders scored a touchdown, and it's about over four minutes left in the game. They score a touchdown. It's 29-30, and they decided to go for two. I thought that was a bad decision by Josh McDaniels. The reason why I thought that was a bad decision was because if you convert the two-point conversion, you still got to stop Patrick Mahomes. Even if you convert the two-point conversion, you got to stop Patrick Mahomes. Because if the Chiefs get in field goal range, the Chiefs would have won the game 33-31. to 31. I didn't understand why Josh McDaniels wanted to go for two in that situation when Patrick Mahomes still had an eternity to get in field goal range. Now, if it was less than a minute left in the game, then I could understand why Josh McDaniels would make the decision to try to go for two points there. I could understand it because if you convert the two-point conversion, you leave the Chiefs very little time to get into field goal range. Now, again, this is Patrick Mahomes, and we've witnessed Patrick Mahomes, in 13 seconds, march the Chiefs right down the field and get into field goal range. It happened last year in the division around playoff game against the Buffalo Bills. So I didn't understand why Josh McDaniels decided to go for two with a little over four minutes left to go in the game. It made zero sense because now that you're down one, the Chiefs don't have pressure to kick a go-ahead field goal. They're already up one. So Patrick Mahomes can milk the clock when he gets the football back because you failed on the two-point attempt. And, by the way, Josh Jacobs was short on that two-point attempt. I know Derek Carr and Josh McDaniels, they said that they thought that he got into the end zone. No, he was short on that two-point attempt. It made no sense. It made no sense for them to go for the two there. And again, even if you convert the two-point conversion, the score 31-30, your defense still has to stop Patrick Mahomes anyway. Regardless, you have to stop Patrick Mahomes at some point to win this game. So if you tie the game at 30 apiece, your game plan is different when you get the football back if your defense stops the Chiefs. Remember the last possession for the Raiders? They were down 30-29. to so they had to try to get into field goal range to try to kick a potential game-winning field goal, but it would have been less pressure on the Raiders if the game was tied compared to them being down one point. It made no sense. I didn't like that decision by Josh McDaniels to go for two points after the Raiders 
had scored a touchdown with over four minutes left to go in the game. It was Derek Carr's best throw of the game, honestly. It was third and six at the Chiefs 48. Derek Carr had a sweet pass that he threw to Devontae Adams. 48-yard touchdown catch by Devontae Adams. And so I thought he honestly threw the best dime of the evening on that particular play, talking about Derek Carr. Also, on the last possession by the Las Vegas Raiders, I thought Devontae caught that pass up the sideline, but as I continued to watch the replay, he did bobble the football before he got one of like both of his feet down, so it wasn't a catch. But I don't understand on that last play on fourth down, I don't understand how Hunter Renfro and Devontae Adams bumped into each other. I, 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 like, I watched the play, and I'm thinking there has to be a pass interference on this particular play. And I looked at the refs, and they looked at each other, and they like, nothing there. And I looked at the replay, and I look at Hunter Renfro and Devontae Adams. They both bumped into each other, and it completely ruined the play. Typical Raiders fashion to lose the game like that. I don't understand how your top two receivers on the critical play of the game, money time, bump into each other on a route. Made no sense. So I thought that the Raiders had multiple opportunities to win this game. They had a 13-point lead in this game. They had an opportunity to kick a go-ahead PAT, tie the game up at 30, give yourself a chance you never know. Maybe you can stop Patrick Mahomes and that Kansas City Chiefs high-powered offense. But to take the game out of your defense's hands and just go for two, I didn't like Josh McDaniel's decision-making there. I didn't like it. Again, even if you can convert the two-point conversion, Mahomes still got four minutes to get into field goal range. So it made no sense. When I look at the Las Vegas Raiders overall, they won it four in the season. They could easily – be 5-0, easily. They lost in overtime earlier in the season to the Arizona Cardinals. Week one, they lost by five to the L.A. Chargers. They lost to the Tennessee Titans, and that game was competitive as well. And in this game, they had a chance to win. So the Raiders could easily be 5-0, bare minimal 3-2, and two, and they're 1-4 on the season. 1-4, and, 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 and honestly, the Raiders have talent. I look at this Raiders team at running back. You got Josh Jacobs, who had a great game last night. Josh Jacobs last night had over 150 rushing yards for the Raiders. You got Devontae Adams, the best receiver in the NFL. You got Hunter Renfro. You got Darren Waller as well at tight end. And they got Derek Carr, who I believe is a good quarterback. He's not elite like Mahomes or like Rodgers or like Brady, but Derek Carr is a serviceable quarterback who you can win in the NFL with. And defensively, they got Chandler Jones, and they got Crosby. So I believe that the Raiders have the talent, but if you look at their record, their record is 1-4, and four, and as the great Bill Parcells once said, your record is who you are. And the, rec and the record for the Raiders right now is 1-4. They're 1-4, but their talent screams for them to be three and two, or even four and one. So that's my biggest takeaway. Also, everyone's talking about after the game, the Devontae Adams incident, it was a photographer who 
was trying to run past Devontae Adams. Devontae was frustrated, so he shoved the photographer. They caught it on the cameras for the Monday Night Football crew, and everyone's talking about whether or not he should be suspended. And this morning, I made a Facebook post, and I said, wow, they're going to suspend him for this? more I think about it, the more I believe Devontae Adams should be suspended for one game and fined for his actions after the game. And I'm a Devontae Adams fan. I don't apologize for it. I believe that Devontae Adams is the best receiver in the NFL at his best. And he had multiple years in Green Bay where he produced at a high level. And Devontae Adams is a man that has high character. I had a lot of people in the NFL who I know who I've spoken with about Devontae Adams who know Devontae personally, and Devontae Adams has never had an off-the-field issue. He has high character. This is not to assassinate his character at all. This was a one-time incident where Devontae Adams was emotionally frustrated because his team is 1-4 on the season. He just bumped into Hunter Renfro on a route where the Raiders had an opportunity to get a first down and continue the game, he was frustrated. He was frustrated, but you have to be able to control your emotions despite the outcome of a football game. And Devontae Adams, in this moment, he made a mistake. And he has to be fined, and he has to be suspended for one game. The NFL, they got to send a message. Because if we're going to talk about fans and them not touching players and not physically trying to put their hands on players or any kind of capacity, players in frustration also cannot touch fans or touch photographers or, you know, media members. Despite you being upset, you still cannot put your hands on innocent bystanders walking off the field. Can't do it, Devontae. I love you, but you can't do it. How much on the fine, though? They got to find him substantially. He got it. Got to be a substantial fine. It, it, it got to be a substantial fine. It got. It got to be a heavy fine. They got to send a message to Devontae that this is not to be tolerated. So, initially, I said no suspension. The more I think about it, and the more I looked at the video, you got to suspend Devontae for a game. Got to sit him down. Can't have this. It's a one-time incident. He immediately apologized in his post-game press conference, and he also apologized on Twitter. But this cannot happen. Because imagine, too, I thought about this. That was a male photographer who Devontae shoved. Imagine if that was a female. Imagine if that was a female who he shoved on accident, you know, because he, he was frustrated, obviously. Imagine if that was a female. I understand. I get it. You, you frustrated in the moment, fresh off your fourth loss of the season. This was your best game of the season so far, and your team had a chance to upset a division rival in the Kansas City Chiefs, I understand why Devontae was frustrated in that moment. By the way, he's used to winning in the NFL. Devontae Adams was in Green Bay, and he has went to NFC Championship games. He's won at a high level in the NFL. He ain't used to losing. Devontae is in unforeign territory. He's in unforeign territory. And right now, Devontae Adams misses Green Bay, and Green Bay misses Devontae Adams. I watched that game the other day, that Giants-Packers game we're going to talk about here in a bit. Packers miss Devontae Adams, and Devontae Adams misses Aaron Rodgers and the Packers. And to back that up, let me give you some, some numbers 
for the season. This is Devontae Adams this year. This is completion percentage when targeting Devontae Adams. This year with Derek Carr, it's 55% completion percentage. With Aaron Rodgers, last year, it was a 75% completion percentage. Also, last year, receptions per game, Adams averaged 7.7 receptions per game. This year, he's averaging 5.8 receptions per game. So, Devontae misses Aaron. Now, listen, here's my, this is Aaron Rodgers. Throws of 25-plus air yards this season. Rodgers is 2-15 and 15 with an interception. Devontae Adams got two receptions for two touchdowns for over 25 yards. So, that just tells you how much Aaron Rodgers and Devontae Adams both miss each other. And so far, Derek Carr, he hasn't been able to get the ball to Devontae Adams the way we thought he was going to be able to do coming into the season. Even in this game, Devontae did have over 120 receiving yards for the game, but he only had three receptions. I'm used to Devontae Adams having eight, nine receptions per game. So that's something to keep an eye on as the season goes along. But I do believe the NFL is going to sit sit Devontae Adams down for a game. Raiders are on a bye next week. So at 1-4, one and, one and they'll have a bye week. And the Chiefs will play the Buffalo Bills in a big-time matchup next week in week six. Can't wait for that game. Let's go to break. I'm Trey Larkins on the Worldwide Sports Network on the Wise Guys Sports Show. I'll be right back. It's the Worldwide Sports Radio Network. And welcome back to the Wise Guys Sports Show on the Worldwide Sports Network. Everybody remember, go and follow Wise Guys on Twitter at WiseGuys underscore H. Also on Facebook, Wise Guys. Be sure to follow Wise Guys on Instagram at These Guys Know Sports. Let's transition to an NFC battle in London as the Giants beat the Packers 27-22 for the Giants. Daniel Jones, he went 21 of 27. He threw for 217 passing yards. Saquon Barkley, he had 13 carries, 470 rushing yards. For the Packers, Aaron Rodgers, he went 25 of 39. He threw for 222 passing yards, two touchdowns. So I was pissed off as a Packers fan because in this game, in the first half, I thought the Packers did an outstanding job because they moved the football effectively against that Giants defense. In the first half, the Packers put up 20 points. And – so far this season, it's been a struggle for the Green Bay Packers. In week three against the Tampa Bay Buccaneers, the Packers scored 14 points in the first half. Second half, they struggled. They didn't even score a single point, and they got completely shut out by that Giants defense. Go back to week one. They only scored seven points against the Minnesota Vikings in Minnesota in that game. And then I thought in week four, Despite the Packers beating the New England Patriots, the Packers' offense was inconsistent. And so through the first four games of the season, I thought offensively the Packers have been inconsistent and they haven't had a turn-up game yet. 
They haven't had one of those performances by Aaron Rodgers and Matt LaFleur where you say the Packers are officially back and they're scoring points at a high clip. And I thought this was an opportunity for the Packers offense to have a breakout performance. And in the first half, they were sensational. They had 20 points in the first half. And Aaron Rodgers, in the first quarter, he connected with Alan Lazard on a touchdown throw down in the red zone. And then Packers put together another drive. Mercedes Lewis caught a touchdown pass from Aaron Rodgers. So at that point, the Packers were up 17-3. to So the Packers had a 17-3 to lead in this game and a 20-10 to lead in this game. And after being up 17-3, the Packers got outscored by the Giants 24 to 3 because I like I don't count I don't count that safety it, it doesn't count to me so the Giants scored 24 and the Packers scored 3 points so I thought that was a you know a major disappointment by the Green Bay Packers offense overall I thought that if you got a 20 to 10 lead you got to close that deal you got to close that deal. That's at halftime. But in the game, they had a 14-point lead at one point. 14-point lead and a 10-point lead with Aaron Rodgers as your quarterback. You got to be able to close that deal. You got to close that deal. I, I, I just don't understand for the life of me how the Packers offense can go completely cold. They went completely cold. In this game, made zero sense. Got outscored 24 to 3 by the Giants and Daniel Jones. That is unacceptable. Completely unacceptable. And also, I thought that defensively, defensive coordinator Joe Barry and the Packers defense, they should be ashamed to show their faces in the city of Green Bay this week. They were awful in the second half. In this game, they gave up 17 points to Daniel Jones and the New York Giants in the second half. They allowed Saquon Barkley to impact the game, running the football, and also he lined up in Wildcat a few times. And the Packers had no answers for Saquon. And shout out to Saquon Barkley because I'm happy for Saquon. I believe Saquon is having a bounce-back season, and he's proving to be true as an elite back in the NFL. I believe so far in the NFL, outside of quarterbacks, you can make an argument for Saquon Barkley being an early NFL MVP candidate. That's how great Saquon has been through these first five games of the season. So we knew coming into the game that in order for the Giants to win this game, Saquon Barkley will have to have a big impact on the Giants' offense for them to win this game. And I thought he did an outstanding job, and I thought Brian Dayball, the head coach for the Giants, he completely outcoached Matt, La Matt LaFleur in the second half. Completely. I, I mean, like, th like this whole entire second half, the Giants controlled the tempo, and they controlled the game 
overall. So I got to give a lot of credit to Brian Dayball, then. He has completely changed the culture in New York. Last year and the years prior, this Giants team, down 14 points, down 10 points, they would have folded in the second half. And Brian Dayball has this football team believing that they can win at a high level right now. Shout out to Brian Dayball in the New York Giants. I did not have the Giants 4-1 and one through the first five games of the season. I was wrong on the Giants. I had them finishing probably last in the NFC East, and they've been the most surprising team so far in the NFL. And right now, Brian Dayball is the leading candidate for NFL Coach of the Year honors. He's a leading candidate for NFL Coach of the Year honors. He's been sensational. And, again, even though I've been critical of Danny Dimes, in the past, Daniel Jones, he showed a lot of heart in this game, and the Giants overall as a football team showed a lot of resiliency. They were a resilient football team, and they did not give up in this game. But I'm disappointed in the Packers because you up 17-3, up 20-10, to 10, and you couldn't close that deal. You got to feel disappointed if you're a Packers fan and if you're the Green Bay Packers overall. As a team, I think this was a collective effort by the Packers offense and the Packers defense losing this game. For whatever reason, Matt LaFleur decided to go away from the running game. He decided to go away from the running game, and it made no sense. Aaron Jones and A.J. Dillon both are the strengths of this Packers offense. Jones and Dillon, for the game, only had 19 rushing attempts. Aaron Rodgers had 39 passing attempts. That is not a ratio for the Packers to be able to win football games. That is not a good ratio at all. You need Aaron Jones and A.J. Dillon to have at least 25 to 30 carries. And Aaron Rodgers, instead of having him drop back to pass 39 times, he should drop back to pass maybe 25 times per game. This ain't the same Packers team. Okay, we gotta we gotta we gotta come to the realization that this is not the same Packers team this season than it has been in previous seasons. This team rushing attack is the strength of this football team. It is not Aaron Rodgers in the passing game anymore. The way for the Packers to win football games is going to be through the running game with AJ Dillon and Aaron Jones. And for whatever reason, Matt LaFleur got away from that in the second half. I don't understand why you would throw the ball as many times as they threw it with a double-digit 14-point lead and a 10-point lead at the half. In the second half, it should have been a heavy dose of Aaron Jones and A.J. Dillon. I, I, I just don't understand. I think Matt LaFleur, he dropped the ball in this game, and he's the biggest reason why the Packers sit here today at 3-2 and two instead of being 4-1. and one. But again, defensively, the Packers were awful. They were awful in the second half. Joe Barry, the coordinator for the Packers on the defensive side of the ball, he deserves some blame as well. That Packers defense, Preston Smith, Rayshon Gary, Kenny Clark up front, linebacker, Quay Walker, secondary, Darnell Savage, Jair Alexander. I got to call out these dudes. Rasul Douglas, Eric Stokes. They were awful in the second half, man. 
And I'm looking at these Giants receivers, right? These are the Giants receivers that Daniel Jones was throwing the ball to. Darius Slayton, Marcus Johnson, Daniel Bellinger was the tight end. Who are these dudes? I mean, they, they, Daniel Jones was throwing to, to, to players who I've never heard of, and the Giants overcame a 14-point deficit and a 10-point deficit to win this game 27-20. to Giants outscored the Packers 24-3 to after being down 17-3 with completely nobodies at the skill position players. Like, I mean, their skill positions are, players are nobodies. I've never heard of some of these dudes. Bellinger, Slayton, Johnson, come on now. And that's who the Packers just lost to. So, collective effort for the Packers losing this game. Now, when you look forward to week six, the Giants got the Ravens in New York. That's going to be a big-time matchup. Lamar Jackson versus that New York Giants defense that held the Packers in check in London. And then you got Daniel Jones and Saquon Barkley against that Ravens defense. I, that's going to be a great matchup in New York. I did not expect the Giants to be as good as they are. But the Giants are a legit threat in the NFC East and in the NFC overall. They play some great football. For the Packers, the Packers are going to be home against the New York Jets in week six. So Packers got to have a bounce-back performance if they want to improve to four and two on the season. Everybody go and follow Wise Guys on Twitter at WiseGuys underscore OH. Also on Facebook, Wise Guys. Be sure to follow Wise Guys, Instagram at These Guys, No Sports. Going to be talking about the Cowboys win over the Rams fresh out of the break. I'll be right back. Wise Guys. Wise Guys. Tracy Larkins, Chris Mitchell. Tracy Larkins, Chris Mitchell. These guys, No Sports. Wise Guys. Welcome back to Wise Guys. These guys know sports here live on the Worldwide Sports Network. Everybody, remember, go and follow Wise Guys on Twitter at WiseGuys underscore H. Also on Facebook, Wise Guys. Be sure to follow Wise Guys on Instagram at These Guys Know Sports. Call into the show, 513-203-8655. 513-203-8655. I still am going to talk about the Bengals' loss to the Baltimore Ravens in Baltimore. Ravens beat the Bengals 19-17 on Justin Tucker's game-winning field goal. Now, let's transition back to the NFC and talk about the Dallas Cowboys and their 22-10 win over the L.A. Rams. It's the fourth win in a row for the Dallas Cowboys. Cooper Rush now is 5-0 in his career as a starter. The Cowboys have not allowed under 20 points in each of their first five games since 1972. Six-game roll ring streak for the Cowboys as well. For the Cowboys, Cooper Rush, he went 10 of 16, 102 passing yards. For the Rams, Matthew Stafford, he went 28 of 42, 
He threw for 308 passing yards, one touchdown, one interception. Cooper Cup had a great game for the Rams. He had seven receptions, 125 receiving yards, one touchdown. So, when I look at this game, this game was won by the Dallas Cowboys defense because offensively, the Dallas Cowboys, they didn't have a great performance. Offensively, the Cowboys, for the game, they had 239 total yards, 163 rushing yards. So I thought Pollard and Ezekiel Elliott did a pretty good job in the running game for the Cowboys, but their passing game was irrelevant Sunday. Cooper Rush only had 102 passing yards for the game, but the Cowboys' defense is what has them right now sitting at 4-1 on the season and winning four straight games this year, right now. Defensive coordinator Dan Quinn for the Dallas Cowboys, he got the Cowboys playing at a high level right now. And I believe the defense frustrated Matthew Stafford all afternoon long in Los Angeles. And we know defensively, they got Micah Parsons up front. They got Demarcus Lawrence as as well. They brought in Anthony Barr in free agency. They got Langdon Van Der Esch as well at linebacker. And they still got Trayvon Diggs. I, <coughs> I believe right now the Cowboys have the best defense in the NFL. I know I said earlier the Buccaneers were the best defense in week four against the Chiefs. But right now, the Cowboys' defense is playing the best. So I, I got to give credit where it's due. Defensive coordinator Dan Quinn and Mike McCarthy, the head coach, let's give him some credit as well. That Dallas Cowboys defense is a top three defense in the NFL, and they might be the best defense right now overall. I know I believe, and I said earlier, the Bucks had the best defense, but right now the Cowboys have the best defense that's currently playing right now at a high level. Because for them to win this game and their offense to have less than 300 yards total is indicative of the type of defense that they are currently playing right now. You look at the Cowboys defensively. They held the Rams to go 6 of 17 on third down. They held the Rams rushing attack to less than 50 yards in this game, and they sacked Matthew Stafford five times. I thought that was the biggest key in the game. Five sacks from that Cowboys defense. Michael Parsons, I believe, is the best defensive player on their team and one of the best defensive players in the NFL. We talk about Aaron Donald and how dominant Aaron Donald is. We got to start looking at Micah Parsons and talking about how great Micah Parsons is going to be. Like, Micah Parsons has Lawrence Taylor potential. That's how great Micah Parsons is. In this game, Parsons had two sacks on Stafford and Barr, he led them in tackles. He had four tackles. Trayvon Diggs had six tackles. And they were able to force Matthew Stafford into an interception. But I believe right now this defense is flying around. They're making plays. And they're playing with high, high intensity right now. They really, really are. 
and I believe they are the driving force for why the Cowboys are 4-1 and one on the season and have won four straight games. I know Cooper Cup is 5-0 and oh as a starter, but in this matchup, Cooper Cup didn't have his best performance, and the Cowboys were still able to win this game. And honestly, watching the game, it was clear the Cowboys were the better football team. They were the better team overall, and they're the better team right now between these two teams by far. I mean, the Rams right now, they, they got a bunch of issues, and I'm going to get to them here in a bit. But the Cowboys, they are not as surprising as the Giants are, but they are up there when it comes to my surprises so far in the NFL. Like, I didn't expect the Cowboys through the first five games of the season to be 4-1. I would have said they would be, you know, two and three, even three and two maybe, but not four and one. This was a game where I picked the Rams to win. The Cowboys came out, and they punched the Rams right in the mouth in this game. And at the half, the Cowboys were up 16 to 10. And in the second half, they didn't score a touchdown, but they completely shut out the L.A. Rams completely shut them out. Again, offensively, I believe they will come along. Dak Prescott's going to be back at some point. So you're going to get Dak Prescott back. You got a nice rushing attack with Pollard, with Elliott. And then at your receivers, you got CeeDee Lamb. He had five receptions for 53 receiving yards in this game. Michael Gallup is back from his injury. So you got him in the mix. They're going to get back. Schultz, at some point, they're tight in. He was out in this game. And they also, at some point, are going to get back Tyler Smith, their left tackle, who's been out since training camp with an injury. So this Cowboys team is playing at a high level, and they got players coming back. Now, let's talk about the L.A. Rams. I said coming into the game that the L.A. Rams – are in trouble because the Rams, they don't have a reliable rushing attack to depend on. They are a one-dimensional football team. And in this game, Matthew Stafford dropped back the pass 42 times and Cam Akers had 13 carries. So the Rams are a one-dimensional football team. They have no legitimate threat in the running game. And it's Matthew Stafford or Buss right now for this Rams offense. And you look at their receivers. They brought in Allen Robinson in free agency. Allen Robinson in this game, three receptions, 12 receiving yards. So Allen Robinson has been a non-factor so far since he's been with the L.A. Rams. And I've put this on Sean McVay because Sean McVay, who was an offensive guru, He's supposed to scheme up plays for Stafford to get the ball to Allen Robinson. I saw Allen Robinson producing at a high level with less caliber quarterbacks than Matthew Stafford. So why is Allen Robinson not getting the football in this Rams offense? They are looking for Cooper Cup, and that's it. Cooper Cup in this game, he was targeted 10 times, so he had 10 targets 
He ended up having seven receptions, over 100 receiving yards. But that's my biggest issue right now with the L.A. Rams. I know Ben Skyronek, he had six receptions for 41 receiving yards, but he's not as good as Allen Robinson is. And Allen Robinson is supposed to be a reliable number two receiver in this offense. Sean McVay is not getting him the football right now. He's not getting him the ball. And that's the biggest reason why the Rams sit here today at two and three on the season. They're a one-dimensional offense that rely on Matthew Stafford and Cooper Cup, and that's it. They don't have a reliable running back because Cam Akers is not the same Cam Akers now than he was previously before his injury. Sean McVay abandons the running game in most games anyway. He doesn't want to run the football much. So the Rams are in trouble. They, they are in trouble. They're the defending champs, but that's about the only thing that they got going for them right now. Like, I, I don't really know if the Rams are going to be able to get it together because they're in the NFC West. So the 49ers already beat them in week four. So the Niners have the tiebreaker over the Rams right now. You also got to compete against those other other teams in the NFC. Giants, Eagles, Cowboys, Packers, Vikings, Bucks. So I'm not I'm not sure about the Rams right now. Next week they got the Panthers. They should be able to beat the Panthers. Panthers don't even have a coach right now. We don't know about the services of Baker Mayfield and whether or not he's going to be available. They got the bye in week seven. They need the bye. The Rams need the bye in the worst way. Week eight, they got the 49ers again in Los Angeles. So we're going to find out what this Rams team is made of. Right now, they are not a good football team. They're, they are not a good team, and they two and three on the season. And the Cowboys went into SoFi Stadium and completely dominated the game start to finish. I picked the Rams to win this game because I thought it was a must win for the L.A. Rams, and the Cowboys completely controlled the game all 60 minutes. So Rams are in trouble. Everybody go and follow Wise Guys on Twitter at WiseGuys underscore H, also on Facebook, Wise Guys. Make sure to follow Wise Guys on Instagram at These Guys, No Sports. We're going to be talking Bengals, Ravens, out of the break. I'll be right back. It is the Worldwide Sports Radio Network. And welcome back to Wise Guys. These guys know sports here on the Worldwide Sports Network. Everybody remember going to follow Wise Guys on Twitter at WiseGuys underscore H. Also on Facebook, Wise Guys. And be sure to follow Wise Guys on Instagram at These Guys Know Sports. It's the NFL Week 5 recap. So, let's transition to the matchup in the AFC North. Joe Burrow versus Lamar Jackson, and they did not disappoint Sunday night in Baltimore. And let me read my wise guys question of the day. And the question is, who's to blame for the Bengals' 19-17 loss to the Ravens? Is it Zach Taylor? Is it the offense or is it the defense? And 67% says Zach Taylor. 33% says the offense. So looking at this game, I thought that 
the Baltimore Ravens had to win this game. If the Ravens would have lost this game, that would have been six straight losses at home. You got Lamar Jackson. You got John Harbaugh there in Baltimore. This is one of the most winning organizations in the NFL. And for them to be on the verge of losing six straight home games would have been a major, major disappointment. And in this game, I thought the Ravens grinded this game out. Statistically, Lamar Jackson, he went 19 of 32, only 174 passing yards, one touchdown, one interception. Mark Andrews, he had eight receptions, 89 receiving yards, one touchdown. For the Bengals, Joe Burrow, he went 24 of 35, 217 yards, one touchdown, one interception. But I thought the Ravens grinded this game out. This game wasn't a game where we've seen the Ravens score a lot of points. In week one, the Ravens, they scored 24 against the Jets. Week two, they scored 38 against the Dolphins. Week three, they scored 37 against the Patriots. Week four, they only scored 20 points against the Bills. So they haven't scored less than 20 points all season long. So this was a game that the Bengals defense forced the Baltimore Ravens offense to grind out. So I want to give a lot of credit to that Ravens offense for grinding out a win over the Bengals on a day where their offense wasn't at its best. I thought Lamar Jackson missed a few throws. There were two throws on the same drive where Lamar Jackson had two potential touchdown throws that he completely missed. You cannot miss those throws if you're Lamar Jackson. I'm a, I am a supporter of Lamar Jackson. I want Lamar Jackson to get his money. But he missed two crucial throws on the same possession for the Ravens. If you want to get paid, you have to make those throws so the organization can see that he can make any throw in any moment. And he missed two back-to-back -back throws that would have given the Ravens a lead over the Bengals that I'm not sure the Bengals would have would have been able to come from, come back from. I, I I think if the Ravens would have connected on one of those potential passes from Lamar Jackson and they would have scored touchdowns, I'm not sure the Bengals would have been able to overcome a big deficit because I thought the Ravens defense actually played their best game of the season considering the caliber of offense they were going against. I'm going to get to them here in a bit, but – I thought offensively, Lamar Jackson and the Ravens offense, they grinding out, grinded out this game. For the game, they had 325 total yards of offense, 170 passing yards, 155 rushing yards. I thought that J.K. Dobbins, he helped that Ravens offense move the football. Eight carries, 44 rushing yards, averaged over five yards per carry. Lamar Jackson had 12 carries, 58 rushing yards. So I thought offensively the Ravens, they grinded out this game. This wasn't a high-scoring affair for the Baltimore Ravens. Now, defensively for the Bengals, I thought the Bengals, they switched up their game plan in the middle of the game. Defensive coordinator Lou Adamaral, he played a lot of man-to-man -man coverage 
that I was surprised to see. I thought the Bengals was going to play a lot of zone, but in this matchup, they played a lot of man-to-man coverage, and that's why we saw Lamar Jackson have the opportunities that he had to make big plays in the passing game. So I got to get credit to that Bengals defense as well. I've been critical of the Bengals defense. I've told Bengals fans that in the first four games of the season, the Bengals didn't play an elite quarterback. That's true. They haven't played an elite quarterback yet. But the results are the results. And right now, so far this season, the Bengals defense has not gave up a touchdown in the second half yet this season. That's a fact. So I got to get some credit to defensive coordinator Lou Adamaral and his defense. They are led by their middle linebacker, Logan Wilson. He has seven tackles for the game. Von Bell had five tackles. Jesse Bates, who I like in their secondary, he had five tackles. And by the way, I know Jesse Bates wants to get his money, but it's a great chance that Hill, the backup safety, will be the starting safety for the Bengals next year and for future seasons to come because I don't see Mike Brown paying Jesse Bates the money that he wants. Jesse Bates wants to get paid top quality money for a safety. I don't see Mike Brown doing it. But I thought in this game overall, I thought the Bengals defense holding the Ravens offense to under 20 points was a major accomplishment. And I believe that this Bengals defense has gotten better. They've gotten better, and I can't say enough about the job that they did defensively. So, Ludo Adamaral, shout out to Ludo Adamaral and that Bengals defense. I, I was critical of them in the first four games of the season because they didn't play an elite quarterback. They played an elite quarterback Sunday night in Baltimore, and they held him to under 20 points. Big, good job, Bengals, on defense. Now, let's switch gears and talk about the Bengals offense versus that Ravens defense. Coming into the game, I said the Ravens defense was an atrocity. I said that Ravens defense is so embarrassing, they should be ashamed to show their faces in the city of Baltimore. That's how bad that Baltimore Ravens defense has been so far this season. Week two, they gave up a 21-point lead to the Miami Dolphins. Week four, they gave up a 17-point lead to the Buffalo Bills. And defensively, they actually have great personnel. You got Marcus Peters at cornerback. You got Chuck Clark at safety. You got Marlon Humphreys as well in your secondary. And then at linebacker, you got Patrick Queen. You got Calais Campbell as well. So I don't understand why this Ravens defense was as bad as it has been all season long. It made no sense. It made no sense. But in this matchup, Defensive coordinator Mike McDonald, he actually switched his defensive game plan that we're accustomed to seeing as well. Normally, the Ravens, they blitz a lot, and they play man-to-man coverage. In this game, it was a lot of zone being played by the Baltimore Ravens defense. A lot of zone being played. And I'm used to seeing the Ravens blitz in games. But I believe that was the smart game plan for defensive coordinator Mike McDonald, considering you're going against 
and high-powered offense in the Cincinnati Bengals. They got Jamar Chase. They got Tyler Boyd at receiver. T. Higgins was out in this game. He didn't play most of the game. He had an injury. But they still got Tyler Boyd. They still got Jamar Chase. So if you blitz Joe Burrow and you got one-on-one coverage, you leave your secondary out to dry because they're going up against elite receivers. So I thought the zone defense played by the Ravens in this game was a great adjustment by Mike McDonald. Great adjustment by Mike McDonald. So I thought both defensive coordinators, they they, they, they did things that we're not used to seeing. The Ravens were able to get the win. This is a, 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 a game that, to me, was, was well played by both teams. I thought both of these teams played well in this game, and I thought they both played great defense. I mean, I talked to my cousin about this game coming into the matchup. We talked about how we got two high-powered offenses, but it was the defenses that led the way in this game. I thought that Ravens defense, I've been critical of them all season long, and I thought in this game, I thought that Ravens defense showed up. They finally showed up, and they showed some heart, and they held Joe Burrow in check for the most part in this game. That Bengals offense for the game only had 291 total yards. If you can hold that Bengals offense to under 300 yards total, I believe that is a recipe for success for any defense going up against the Bengals. So 190 passing yards for Joe Burrow in this game. So he was he was held in check majority of the game. But I believe the biggest reason why the Bengals lost this game was because of Zach Taylor. And I want to go back to a key moment in this game. This was the Bengals. They had drove down the field. They drove 73 yards. So it's they get down close to the goal line. And this is a critical play of the game. It's second and goal at the Baltimore two-yard line. Zach Taylor decides to run an end around with Tyler Boyd. And Tyler Boyd gets sacked. And it was a loss of 12 yards. And it puts the Bengals at the Baltimore 14-yard line, and they were previously at the two-yard line. I thought that Zach Taylor in that moment got cute. He got cute. Why would you not run the football with Joe Mixon and allow Mixon to score a touchdown that would have given you the lead? If the Bengals score a touchdown in that moment, they go up 17-13 to over the Ravens, and they force the Ravens to have to score a touchdown to retake the lead, not a field goal. So that possession by the Bengals, they went 73 yards, 15 plays. They get down to the Ravens' two-yard line, and on second and goal, Zach Taylor decides to run an end-around with Tyler Boyd, and he he's looking like he's going to pass to Joe Burrow in the end zone. It looked like the Philly special. This is the Cincinnati special, like that. This is the Cincinnati version of the Philly special. And I thought that was a terrible play call in that moment. Why get cute, Zach? Why? It made no sense. You could have ran the football with Joe Mixon, and the Bengals could have scored a go-ahead touchdown, and they could have put all the pressure back on Lamar Jackson and that Ravens offense to score a touchdown. Because if if the Bengals go up 17-13, It puts pressure on Lamar Jackson and the Ravens to have to score 
a touchdown on their ensuing possession. So I, I don't understand why Zach Taylor would, would do an end around on second and goal from the two-yard line. That made no sense at all. Made zero sense. I thought Zach Taylor dropped the ball here for the Bengals. I thought he was the biggest reason why the Bengals lost this game. I, the play calling got to get better. It has to get better. And then they end up going for it on fourth down, down three points. I didn't have a problem with them going for it on fourth down. I didn't like the play call, even though it looked like Lyle Collins missed the block on that fourth down because you saw Zach Taylor. He ran up to Lyle Collins after the play and told him that he missed the block. I guess it was a shovel pass. I didn't mind the, the play call there, and I didn't mind him going for it on fourth down. I didn't like the play call on second down when they ran an end around and they lost 12 yards. I didn't like that play call at all. I thought it was way too cute by Zach Taylor. That was a play call that was way too cute. Run the football into the end zone, and you go up 17-13 and put all the pressure on Lamar Jackson in that Ravens offense. Now, also, on the Bengals' last possession, they had a touchdown drive of 13 plays, 75 yards, took over seven minutes on the clock. Joe Burrow had a scramble for one-yard touchdown. This happened with 158 left on the clock. I didn't fault Zach Taylor in that moment because you have to score a touchdown. At that moment, they were they were down 16 to 10. So you have to score a touchdown. Now, honestly, watching the game, scoring with a minute 58 left on the clock, I said immediately they left a lot of time on that clock for Lamar Jackson to get into field goal range, and they have the best clutch kicker in NFL history in Justin Tucker. So I knew the Bengals were going to have to stop Lamar Jackson from getting into field goal range defensively. And I thought that was going to be tough because Lamar only had to go 30, 40 yards to get into field goal range. He went. He ended up going 50. They got the ball all the way down to the Bengals' 25-yard line. So Lamar had to go 50 yards. So I, I I thought they scored quick. The Bengals did, but you can't in in football you can't not score touchdowns. You have to score touchdowns when you can score touchdowns. You can't say, well, let's try to chip away at the clock and have a clock run down. You can't do that. You you already already down six points. You got to take your touchdown when you get to ch- touchdown, because you may not end up scoring at all. So. I, I didn't I didn't mind Zach Taylor in that moment with the clock management. You just need your defense to come up with a few stops. And on that last possession, I thought Lamar Jackson, he made a few plays. He got the Ravens into field goal range. And the Ravens were able to kick a game-winning field goal by Justin Tucker, which we all knew that kick was going to be good. Justin Tucker doesn't miss field goals, especially not in Baltimore with the game on the line. He's the best clutch kicker in NFL history. I know Adam Vinatieri has kicked a lot of game-winning field goals during Tom Brady and Bill Belichick's Super Bowl runs, but Justin Tucker is the best kicker in NFL history, and he's the most clutch kicker in NFL history. Now, it's going to be interesting because even though the Ravens did win this game, the Ravens are only 3-2 and two on the season. Bengals are 2-3. and three. But the Ravens got the Giants in week six 
the Bengals got the Saints. So far this season, Giants have been better than the Saints have. So the Bengals could easily be back in the mix with a win on Sunday and a loss by the Ravens. They got the Ravens in Cincinnati. Again, we got Bengals-Ravens in Cincinnati. Looks like it's going to be week 18. So the last week of the season, we got Bengals-Ravens at Pecar Stadium, and that game could decide who wins the division. But the Ravens strike first with this win, 19-17 over the Bengals. It was a game that the Ravens had to have. They had to have this game. Now, I want to read a quote from Joe Burrow in the post-game press conference. Joe Burrow said, quote, this is after losing to the Ravens on Sunday Night Football. He said, there's just nothing down the field if teams are going to play us like they did today. What he's talking about is that shell coverage defensively that's forcing the Bengals to have to methodically drive the ball down the field. The Bengals offense is going to have to accept that in order for them to be successful, they're going to have to run the football with Joe Mixon and see if that offensive line can open up running lanes for Mixon, for Pirine, for the offense to flow. They're not going to be able to throw the football all over the yard like they did last year. Last year, Joe Burrow, he put up historical numbers against that Ravens defense. But now, opposing teams, they are forcing Zach Taylor and the Bengals offense to have to methodically drive the football down the field. Those big chunk plays in the passing game are no longer available for the Bengals. They're, they're doubling Jamar Chase, and a lot of times they're forcing the Bengals to have one-on-one coverage with T. Higgins. We saw it in the matchup against the Miami Dolphins. In week four, that's how T. Higgins got his touchdown grab from Joe Burrow on the left side up the, of the field, on the left sideline. They doubled Jamar Chase, and they had Tyler Boyd on one-on-one coverage, and they had T. Higgins in one-on-one on the other side, and T. Higgins won. So they was going to have to figure out how to move the football against this cover two and this shell coverage in the defense with the high safety. They got to figure it out. Everybody go and follow Wise Guys on Twitter at WiseGuys underscore H. Also on Facebook, Wise Guys. Make sure to follow Wise Guys on Instagram at These Guys No Sports. Coming out the break, I'm going to talk about Matt Rule being fired from the Panthers. Be right back. It, it, it's the Worldwide Sports Radio Network. And welcome back to Wise Guys. These Guys No Sports. Here live on the Wise Guys Sports Show on the World Wise Sports Network. Everybody remember go and follow Wise Guys on Twitter at Wise Guys underscore H. Also on Facebook, Wise Guys. And be sure to follow Wise Guys on Instagram at these guys. No sports. Let's transition back to the NFC and talk about the Carolina Panthers as the Carolina Panthers fired former head coach Matt Rule. Matt Rule, he went. 11-27 in three seasons with the Carolina Panthers. The Panthers have went four straight seasons without a playoff appearance. So my initial reaction to the Panthers firing Matt Rule was Matt Rule didn't deserve to be a head coach in the NFL to begin with. 
And I thought the Carolina Panthers made a mistake hiring Matt Rule because you look at Matt Rule's college record. He coached at Temple. He went 28 and 23 at Temple, went 19 and 13 in the AAC. And then he transitioned to Baylor in the Big 12. He went 13 and 14 overall. He went 19 and 20. With the Baylor Bears, he went 47 and 43. With the Temple Owls, he went 28 and 23. So I don't understand why the Panthers hired Matt Rule to begin with because Matt Rule is not Lincoln Riley. Matt Rule is not Nick Saban. Matt Rule is not Dabo Sweeney. So why in the hell did the Panthers believe that Matt Rule was going to be an elite head coach in the National Football League? I don't understand what David Tepper, that's the owner for the Carolina Panthers, I don't understand what he was thinking giving Matt Rule this job to begin with. One thing I can give Matt Rule is, Matt Rule is a hell of an interviewer. He's a great interviewer because I don't understand how he even got this job. At Temple, he went 28 and 23. At Baylor, he went 47 and 43. So he didn't even have a great head coaching record at the collegiate level. And in, in his three seasons, since being the head coach in Carolina, he's went 11 and 27. So he's won 29% of his games. Now, since he's been in Carolina, Matt Rue hasn't had the luxury of having a franchise quarterback. He had P.J. Walker, Cam Newton out of his prime, Sam Darnold, and Baker Mayfield. So he hasn't had a franchise quarterback to build around. So that's one thing that Matt Rue did have working against him. But – even if we see a coach who doesn't have an elite quarterback, we can still see if a coach can coach at the NFL level, if he can galvanize the players on his football team. And I never believed that Matt Rule could galvanize his football team and I never thought that he was a leader of men. I never thought he was. Like, it's a difference coaching in the college ranks versus coaching in the NFL. When you're coaching at the collegiate level, the college coach, for whatever particular team he's coaching, he is the man on campus. When you think of Alabama football, you think of Nick Saban. When you think of Clemson Tigers football, you think of Dabo Sweeney. When you think of USC now, you think of Lincoln Riley. And at one point, when he was at Ohio State, we thought of Urban Meyer being the man in Columbus. And the NFL is different because they are getting paid salaries and a bunch of money as well. You got quarterbacks who are making more money than their head coach. So you are leading grown men. And I believe this was a classic example as to why you have to be careful when hiring college coaches and transitioning them to the NFL to be NFL head coaches. It doesn't always work. 
It didn't even work with Nick Saban. Nick Saban didn't last long in the NFL when he came to the league. He, he realized real quick after coaching in Miami that college is easier than the NFL is. You are coaching grown men, grown men who have families, who have mortgages to pay, and kids to put through college. So if you are not respected in your locker room, you can lose your football team real quick as an NFL head coach. And I don't believe Matt Rue ever had the respect as an NFL head coach as he thought he did. I don't think he ever really had the respect from his players like an NFL coach is supposed to have. I look at coaches like Bill Belichick, Mike Tomlin, Andy Reid. These are all veteran NFL head coaches who've been in the NFL for a substantial amount of time. You look at the players on their football team and how they respect their head coach. I look at the Pittsburgh Steelers right now. They are 1-4. They are an awful football team. Just got blew out by the Buffalo Bills. But you still hear players talking about Mike Tomlin and how much respect that they have for Mike Tomlin. Look at the New England Patriots. The New England Patriots so far this season. They haven't been great. They 2-3 and three on the season. But you see how much respect that the players in that Patriots organization have for the great Bill Belichick. And we know how much respect the Chiefs players have for Andy Reid. I never believed that the Panthers players respected Matt Rule as their head coach. So I believe David Tepper has to go back to the drawing board as an owner and figure out who's going to be their quarterback next season and for future seasons to come. They got to figure out their quarterback position. Baker Mayfield is not the answer. I, I've been saying for a while that Baker Mayfield, his career as a starting quarterback in the NFL could be coming to an end. I mean, you look at Baker Mayfield, his statistics so far this season, four touchdowns, four interceptions, 962 passing yards. He's completing 55% of his passes. Baker Mayfield hasn't even com completed 60% of his passes this year. They don't even have a quarterback to build around. They don't even have a average quarterback to build around. It ain't got to be elite. It ain't got to be a Patrick Mahomes or Justin Herbert or Josh Allen. But you could at least have a Dak Prescott. Hell, maybe even a Cooper Rush. Maybe, maybe even a Cooper Rush could be in Carolina. But I think this year the Panthers, they might as well punt on the season sitting at one and four, try to move up on the draft board and draft C.J. Stroud, the quarterback for the Ohio State Buckeyes. That's their best option right now moving forward as a franchise. This season is over. Uh, it, it's, it, it is a done deal, and they might as well, like, like I said, try to get their franchise quarterback for their team. Everybody go and follow Wise Guys on Twitter at WiseGuys underscore H. Also on Facebook, Wise Guys. Make sure to follow Wise Guys on Instagram at these guys no sports. Don't forget to join me Thursday night. It's going to be my NFL Week 6 preview. Thursday night, I'm going to preview the Thursday night matchup in Chicago at Soldier Field. It's Carson Wentz 
and the Washington Commanders traveling to Chicago to take on Justin Fields and the Chicago Bears. So that's going to be the matchup Sun or Thursday in Chicago. I'm going to do my NFL Week 6 wise picks. By the way, this previous week in Week 5, I went 8-7. and seven. In Weeks 3 and 4, I went 10-5. and five. So I wasn't really impressive in my NFL Weekly wise picks. I'm a little disappointed. So I hope hope I can get off to a better start with my Thursday night prediction with Commanders and Bears. So I'm Trey Larkins signing off the Wise Guys Sports Show. Everybody go and follow Wise Guys on Twitter at WiseGuys underscore H. Also on Facebook, Wise Guys. Be sure to follow the Wise Guys on Instagram at These Guys Know Sports. I'm signing off. Have a great night. These Guys Know Sports. Wise Guys. These Guys Know Sports. Wise Guys. It's the Worldwide Sports Radio Network.